Hello, and welcome to Blame Saver Metrics, episode 5. My name is Evan Culbertson, and with me, as always, is Brandon Schlotfeld. Hello. My apologies for the lack of an episode for a week. It's 100% my fault. I was out of town, and then I was sick. And you don't want to hear my gross, sick voice talking about baseball. So my apologies. Lay all the blame on me. We missed a lot of things that happened um, since our, our last episode, so we have a lot to talk about. But first things first, Brandon, how was the Justin Bieber concert? Um, my ears don't work anymore. <laughs> I'm honestly not sure if, like, I died, and this is just, like, a dream right now, because I've never been in a room so loud in my life. I, I have no idea why I went without, <laughs> why I went without, uh, without earplugs. The second it started, I just regretted being there instantly. How did it sound? It was great. Otherwise, once uh, once the screaming stopped and they just kind of and all the girls kind of lost all their energy, then it then it was better. Don't throw girls under the bus. That's not fair. Okay. You were screaming too. Admit it. Okay. Okay. I was screaming. Exactly. <laughs> A little bit. It's the Beebs. He's so mm-hmm. pure and et cetera, et cetera. I got really happy when he played, uh, he did a one-time acoustic, and I wasn't really expecting him to do, like, older stuff, really. I was just expecting him to play newer stuff when he did his little performance bit. Uh-huh. And so that was kind of a nice surprise, even though, I mean, I don't really like that song, but it was still like, oh, wow, he's playing this. It's kind of nice, I guess. Throwback. Yeah. Bieber's not really my guy, but... I've enjoyed quite a few of his jams. It was actually really interesting. Before the show started, when I when I got there, they were playing Purpose over the PA, and everyone was just singing along. That's I've very never, interesting. I've never like witnessed anything like that before. There was just a whole room of people just singing along to onto the album. It was it was strange. I was I was beside myself. It's a certainly an interesting marketing technique. Yeah. Okay. So enough about Justin Bieber. I Ready to talk baseball? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Okay. So like I said, we missed a lot of trades that happened in the past week. Let's start with the Craig Kimbrell trade. So what happened was the Red Sox acquired reliever Craig Kimbrell from the Padres for four prospects. Uh, the main two are Manuel or Manuel, I'm not sure, Margot and Javier Guerra, and then two or guys that aren't a big deal. And this has kind of been talked about a lot over the past week already, but we've got some thoughts on it. So I got to be honest, I don't think this is a bad move on the Red Sox part, but I don't understand it all the same. I don't think that the problem with the 2015 Red Sox was relief pitching. They really needed a starter, but Koji Uehara was fine for them at 40, and, you know, Alexi Ogando and Robbie Ross and, you know, they're not that deep, but fine bullpen was perfectly serviceable. They had a lot of defensive issues and they had pitching problems. The Red Sox had the worst bullpen by Fangraphs 4 in 2015. Really? Yes. Negative 1.4 wins. Shows how much I know. <laughs> uh, just looking at the, the stats of the relievers... 
it looks serviceable. They were a bad team, so that's interesting. And I don't have anything to counter that. Wow. Because <laughs> uh, Fangraphs War is based on FIP, and therefore all of their main relievers had ERA pluses over 100. Interesting. Regardless, if I'm Dave Dombrowski, which for obvious reasons I'm not, and I would be probably working on acquiring things other than closers. I mean, we talk about this all the time, that organizations love to overpay for closers. But at the same time, the Kansas City Royals just won the World Series with a monster bullpen. And um, you really took the steam out of me with that. Yeah, I was about to say, are you still recovering from I'm, that bomb I just dropped? I'm defeated. God. <laughs> okay. Aside from Brandon uh, killing me on research here, the simplest of research, the fact remains that Craig Kimbrell is probably the best reliever I've ever seen. I wasn't around for, or by around, I wasn't paying attention to most of Mariano Rivera, and he obviously has longevity that nobody else ever has and nobody else ever will have, and he has the postseason record. But the past few years, aside from 2015, Craig Kimbrell's been legendary, and I've been super excited to watch him because he's just a monster, Uh, especially that 2012 season with the 1.01 ERA and the 0.78 FIP and the 16.7 strikeouts per nine. He's just awesome. So if you're going to get a closer, and a lot of teams do, you want either Araldis Chapman or Craig Kimbrell. So they got Craig Kimbrell. And your defense about the... uh I guess me taking the steam out of your argument. We know how volatile bullpens are, and so even if they didn't make this move, they could still have a top 15 bullpen next year, and it wouldn't have mattered. True. I think my point there, and we've got, we have majorly lost the plot here. My point is they don't need the best reliever in the game. Nobody needs the best reliever in the game. We'll see, obviously, but this wasn't a move I expected. And it's not necessarily a move that I would have made, though, again, Dave Dombrowski loves a lot more than me. Brandon, what do you think about just initial thoughts on the... On the surface level, it looks like they gave up a lot of prospects to get him. He looks... They gave up a lot, but for the Red Sox, it's not a lot, given their their prospect depth. So they were okay with letting these people go. Right. I mean, Margot has nowhere to really play in the in the outfield, it looks like given how many pieces they have there and it doesn't as of yet it doesn't look like they're moving anyone so i'm sure they're okay with letting him go and with everyone else looks i mean they have a an infield that's pretty penciled in for with those contracts for the next few years at least so i mean i really don't see it as them giving up too much i mean on the surface level it is but for them like i said it's it's not much for them And Kimbrell's amazing, so... Yeah, I mean, it's a really deep farm system. Dombrowski, you know, especially coming from Detroit, where he had a very shallow system, I'm sure is very excited to have pieces to to move to play with. And I think you're also totally right about Margot in particular being expendable. Um, Brian McPherson of the Providence Journal said that they believe very strongly in their most recent first-round pick, Andrew Benintendi, who is a... Is that how you pronounce it? I've had no idea how to pronounce it. I really it. don't know. I'm glad you brought it up, because I was I didn't want to say his name. I think it's Ben <laughs> Intendi. 
Okay, I have. I'm no saying clue. it's Benintendi. I honestly didn't even know how to pronounce Marco. I don't know how to say his first name. I never like hear it's these Manuel players. It's Manuel or Manuel. It's. Something. I always said Manuel. But Manuel sounds cooler, so maybe I'll just go with Manuel from now on. With sincere apologies to Mr. Margot, we're going to do our best here. So if you're listening, Manuel, Manuel, please email us at blamesabermetrics at gmail.com and tell us how to pronounce your name. Anyway, Andrew Benintendi, who's a 20-year-old in A-ball right now, who's tearing it up and who they seem to view as a Michael Conforto type, who also moved through the minors quickly. But at the same time, he's a 20 year old in his first summer in pro ball. So he could be anything we've seen time and time again, like how, how well Dombrowski does at assessing his farm system and what pieces he's okay with giving up. Right. I mean, if you look at the trades he's done in the past, um, when he got Miguel Cabrera from, from the Marlins, he gave up, Cameron Maven, Andrew Miller, and uh, just some other no-name guys who were touted at the time but didn't really turn into much. And we've seen that in his other trades, too, especially, I mean, the Max Scherzer deal. He gave up Curtis Granderson and Edwin Jackson. Then we've seen the opposite, too, with the Fister trade, where he pretty much got nothing for him. And then... there's It's difficult for us to, I mean, really evaluate this, given that it's Dombrowski's first big move in Boston. And he knows a hell of a lot better than we do because he's got all this internal information that we don't have. We just have his stats and scouting reports. So, well, yeah, I just think, yeah, those guys are so young and we don't know what we're going to be in the odds of this trade kind of turning out how that that Ari Dickey trade is traded right. where Darno and Syndergaard turn out to be really good players. I mean, we just don't know. And then you can kind of... Tr- I mean, in this case, you can kind of trade the unknown for for something that is known of Kimbrel. We know he's good. We know he'll still be good for a while. Right, exactly. I think Kimbrel's probably an even more known quantity than Dickey was at the time of that trade a few years ago because Dickey had that great year, and of course he's a starter, and Kimbrel's value is limited given that he pitches one inning a game at most. No, I totally agree with you. It's hard to, as I said at the top, I'm confused. I'm not... I don't disagree with either side. It's just interesting. Margo, again, is he's young, but he's a guy that really projects to be a full-time MLB player. I don't know if he's going to be all-star level, but he's great defensively from everything I've seen, and he can hit. Probably a low OBP guy, but he can hit, and he can steal a lot of bases, so... Unless the power really develops, he's not the superstar that you really regret giving up for a reliever, you know? Mm-hmm. Especially because Kimbrell has several more years of team control, which we're going to talk about a little later. Just just you wait till we talk about the Braves. But Kimbrell's on a good contract. He's got three more years. Yeah, I don't hate it. They didn't give up Yon Moncada. They didn't give up Rafael Devers. I just don't love, you know, I'm never going to love a deal that gives up prospects for a reliever, even if it's the best reliever in the world. That's just my personal bias, I guess, that maybe needs to be adjusted. You know, now that Kansas City is winning World Series with a with an incredible bullpen. Yeah, Kansas City pretty much made me question everything I ever knew about baseball. Kind of, yeah. Mm-hmm. What a time to be alive. What a time to be alive. Okay. The other big trade that happened this week 
was that the Atlanta Braves sent Andrelton Simmons, 26-year-old shortstop extraordinaire, and arguably the best or one of the best defenders in baseball, to the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. The Braves received top Angels prospect Sean Newcomb, a 22-year-old left-hander who was a double-A this past year, Chris Ellis, who was a right-hander, who was a double-A this year, not quite the same level of prospect. And Eric Ibar, who a lot of fans probably know as the longtime Angels shortstop, who was entering his final year before free agency. Brandon, what are your initial thoughts on this blockbuster acquisition? The Braves are going to have so much money to spend next offseason. It's just ridiculous of how much salary they've kind of dumped now. Yeah. With the new stadium open up, they're... It's just going to be the Braves sign, the Braves sign, the Braves sign all next offseason, I think. Though, again, there's not that many superstars next year. Well, Strasburg's a free agent next year, right? Yes, he is. All right. Well, maybe he'll... <laughs> looks like he could be in Atlanta next year. I'm sure they'll have the money to spend for him. I just want to point out that this is the second time in five episodes that we have started talking about where Steven Strasburg's going to sign next year. <laughs> is it really? Yes, it is. <laughs> we can't help ourselves from talking about it. Yeah, we kind of have a Strasbourg fetish. I love him. It's not as bad as your Harper one, but but I digress. So, anyways. Oh, we didn't even talk about the awards. Let's, we can do it after this. Yeah, we should do that. Okay. Okay, also, like Evan, like he said, we know how good Simmons is defensively. Um, his bat hasn't really been that great since his rookie season. Um, so if the Angels teach him how to hit, and even though his defense is probably... He's probably, I don't know if he's reached his peak defensively. He probably has. It's usually between 22 to 24. Yeah. He's 26. He hasn't been as great as he was in 2013, but he's still been amazing these last three years. So given how elite he is defensively, even when he starts, you know, going downhill a little bit, he'll still be pretty damn, pretty damn, he'll be worth the money at least defensively just and then if he the angels can teach him how to hit he'll be a superstar i mean he's already a superstar now but if the angels can somehow tap into him and teach him how to at least just be above league average or just at league average offensively he'll be amazing and just worth whatever and worth what they gave up for him yeah no as we talked about i think it was last episode it was a recent episode when it was last episode because this trade happened very soon after we posted it because Mm -hmm. That's how our timing works out. What great luck. Yep. We talked about the Braves potentially shopping Simmons, and we both agreed that if his bat plays at all, you know, that defense is, makes him an MVP candidate. Oh, easily. So I think this is a weird move for the Braves to give up Simmons, in part because he's the game's best defender, and in part because he has five years and $53 million left on his contract. It's a lot of team control for pretty cheap, mm-hmm. so... The Braves are signing people to long-term, team-friendly extensions and then trading them away. So I don't really know what they're doing. You're right that they're going to have a lot of money to spend. Their rebuild is interesting. They've kind of done like the opposite of the Cubs, where the Cubs loaded up on all the hitting they could get. Now with the Braves, it's they're loading up on all the pitching prospects they can get. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, they, they won 96 games a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. Now... Very few players are left from that team. Like, Freeman's the the big one left. I don't know. I didn't think they were that bad, and they got rid of Hayward. Though Shelby Miller did do really well for them last year. 
and they're having a fire sale. <laughs> uh, yeah. I get that reference. <laughs> Don't worry. Yeah. Don't worry. I got it. <laughs> okay. Hopefully, I'll I hope, yeah, hope too. everyone else did. <laughs> No, I just, I don't know. <laughs> Sean Newcomb's really good. I think Sean Newcomb's, I mean, he obviously hasn't made the majors yet, so he'll have at least six years of team control. And I'm guessing the Braves plan on being good during those six years? Because I don't think they're that far. They don't need to do an Astros-Cubs teardown. No. Uh, Braves GM, was John Coppolella? Yeah, I think that's how you say it. Okay. A lot of names on this episode. So much fun. <laughs> yeah. Come on. He says they're not trading Freeman. So we'll see because they're going to trade anyone who gets them a, a good haul. Mm-hmm. But as long as they keep that core around and they probably want to keep Shelby Miller because he was really good, they can have a really good team in a couple of years. You know, mm-hmm. next year, I think they're going to be really bad. Eric Ibar is good. That's notable. He is a good above average, above replacement level shortstop. But. He's a free agent next winter, and he's not going to be a part of their future. They did end up signing Matt Wieters because, as we didn't get a chance to discuss, Matt Wieters took the qualifying offer to stay in Baltimore. So I don't really know where they're going or what their timeline is, but they're generally considered a a competent team. So I don't really feel like I'm in a position to doubt them, but I don't see it, you know? I just, the moves are not clear to me yet. Not that they have to be. But, you know what I mean? They'll reveal themselves in time. Exactly, but right now it's weird. Yeah. I don't know. Sean Newcomb's a a guy that I think is exciting. Tons of strikeouts, tons of walks. He's a lefty. So he's basically Matt Moore, is what I'm saying. Um, And I think, as I think I've said before, I think if Matt Moore gets those damn walks under control, he's going to win 10 Cy Youngs or something ridiculous. That's not true, but I do love Matt Moore. I can't wait for him to throw a no-hitter with 10 walks. It's going to happen. He's a ridiculous player. Sean Newcomb's only 22. He's a power lefty, but Adelson Simmons is a god among tall shortstops. <laughs> Speaking of six foot two shortstops, the Giants signed Brandon Crawford to a six-year extension. I don't really have a lot to say about it. He was worth five and a half wins above replacement by Baseball Reference War this past year, most of which was his gold glove caliber defense and the fact that he exploded for 20 home runs out of nowhere. Brandon Crawford is a good player, but he's also 28, and I would rather have Andrelton Simmons. (laughs) I'm sure most people would. Not the Giants, apparently, and not the, the gold glove voters, apparently. My bitterness for this will just keep permeating the fact that he beat Anderson Simmons for a gold glove. But Anderson Simmons is in another league now, so... Yep. The Giants won more games, and Crawford hit better, so that's why he got the gold glove, right? It's 100% why I get the gold glove. They're a farce. We know this. We know this. And yet we still talk about it every year. We we let ourselves get outraged. Yeah, I think we're just a bunch of giant masochists. We just love to torture ourselves. We should talk about... The fact that per an Andy Slater report of 9.40 a.m. WINZ in Miami, the Miami Marlins hate Jose Fernandez. Apparently, this young upstart, 
I'm assuming most of our listeners know who Jose Fernandez is. But they think he's a 23-year-old punk who has been, quote, openly defiant and a nuisance in the clubhouse. Uh, Slater says that Fernandez, quote-unquote, talks to management like they're children and has demanded to be traded. This is interesting, in part because Jose Fernandez is one of the best pitchers on the planet. Even after coming back from injury, he was stellar this year. And he's 23, and he plays for a horrible organization, the Miami Marlins, with whom many players have been very openly frustrated by, including one they just signed to the biggest deal in baseball history, you know, Mm -hmm. Giancarlo Stanton. So the fact that they're apparently wanting to get rid of him is a little surprising, because it sounds like that clubhouse is a mess that I wouldn't blame Jose Fernandez, you know? Mm-hmm. I think the best part about it is the story about how he apparently brought in, how about how, I don't know if it was him, it looks like he contributed to it, but how the players brought in red cloud noses to pass out to mock the front office after uh, Redmond was fired, which yeah. is incredibly immature and something that people in their mid to late 20s and older than that probably shouldn't be doing. But it's hilarious. I think that's funny. But I don't, I don't even blame Fernandez to wanting to get the hell out of Miami. They're not really going anywhere. It doesn't seem like they have been going anywhere. They're not, and they're not doing anything to, to kind of help it either. So, I mean, maybe the way he's going about it, yeah, it's immature. And he probably shouldn't be talking to them like they're children and demanding to get out of there. But, I mean, if I were in his situation, I probably wouldn't. I probably wouldn't handle it the same way he did, but I'd still probably want to get out of there as well. Yeah, same. I mean, I can't blame him for wanting to pitch for an organization that is run like a baseball organization and not a profiteering racket, which is the way that Loria and Samson fucking run it, you know? But yes, he should be more mature. Do you think that they're going to trade him? Because there have been sort of conflicting back and forths on the topic because he is so young and he's still controlled for a while. It would be crazy to give him up. But on the other hand, if he doesn't want to be there. Yeah, I don't know. I'm sure they'll, I'm sure teams are probably calling about it after this came out that I'm sure they'll move him for in the right deal. But I'll say yes. I won't even, I won't beat around the bush and speculate. I'll just say, yeah, he gets traded. Yeah, I kind of think so too. I don't know that it'll be in this off season, but it'll be, I feel like it'll be. I think it'll be during the season. Yeah, it'll be early during, during his I you think know. it'll depend on how they do this year, and then I could see them being traded during the season. Yeah, if they're really bad, I could see it happening. I think the thing to keep... I don't think they're going to be dumb about it. I don't think they're going to, like, move him for the sake of moving him. Right. For a, you know, a good deal but isn't great. I think they're going to want, like, a, a Corey Seager or, like, a Miguel Sano or something. Right. You know? Which I don't know if someone would be willing to do. Twins is an interesting partner because they have needed a really good pitcher for a long time, and they do have a pretty decent farm system. Speculation, everyone's favorite. (laughs) But I'm just trying to think, like, they would want a top prospect, you know? Right. And I don't think that they get rid of him for a bunch of major league guys that they can't win around. I think that they want to, first and foremost, want to keep on bringing in revenue, and so they're going to need a guy that they can really market if they're getting rid of Fernandez. Right. So... Sano is interesting. Who hangs up first? Um, the twins. Yeah, probably. Fernandez is really good, though. 
you know? Yeah. I think we should have an episode soon now, just and it's just entirely who hangs up first. Where we just fun. throw out ridiculous trade offers, and then we just see who hangs up first. I think that would be... Yeah, when the market's a little more settled. But no, I think, dear listeners, I think you would enjoy that greatly. I think we should do that. Sounds good. So, the big news of the week is the Baseball Writers Association of America awards were announced. MVP Cy Young, Rookie and Manager of the Year. And I don't think the results are too surprising. Uh, Starting with the MVP, which Josh Donaldson in the AL with Mike Trout finishing in second place for the fourth time in his young career. And in the NL, Bryce Harper won, unsurprisingly. What struck me is that he won unanimously. Every single voter gave him their first place vote. Which I find surprising because of a lot of the narrative towards the end of the season about how he was a clubhouse cancer. Then again, people just love to hate Harper. And about how Joanna Cespedes deserved it. Though Cespedes did get votes, he finished 13th, which is lower than I was expecting. I think this represents progress, that the narrative was defeated by the fact that Harper was the best player in baseball this year. And it didn't matter that he wasn't on a playoff team. Neither uh, number two or number three, Paul Goldschmidt or Joey Votto, both of them were on bad teams. The fact that the top three didn't come from playoff teams and Bryce Harper won without anyone questioning it is kind of awesome. God, I love him so much. So it makes me very happy to see him win. But also, from an objective standpoint, he was the best player he deserved it. I was surprised. I mean, I shouldn't be surprised, but I was surprised that Dallas had won. I knew it was going to be close, but I was surprised at how many more first place votes that Donaldson got over Trout. Yeah, it wasn't particularly close, which is interesting. Yeah, I was surprised for that, but of course, Donaldson was on a playoff team and Mike Trout wasn't. But Josh Donaldson had 123 RBIs. Mike Trout didn't. Mm-hmm. As for Cy Young voting, Dallas Keuchel beat David Price in the AL. And the much-talked-about three-way NL Cy Young race, Jake Arrieta won, Zach Greinke came in second, and Clayton Kershaw came in third. I have thoughts on this, but Brandon, I'm going to let you give your thoughts first. I didn't think Arietta should have won. I mean, he had 22 wins, I guess. Yep. <laughs> but, I mean, I just think that you have to, in order to get the title, you have to knock the king off has to knock the king off the throne, and I don't think anyone really made a case, that much of a case, that they were discernibly better than Kershaw this year, really. Yeah. So, I mean, if not Kershaw, I would say Granky, but I did not, I wasn't expecting Arietta to win. I mean, it was close. I mean, he didn't have too many more first-place votes than Granky did. Right. But I was surprised at how little first-place votes that Kershaw got, but... Yeah, it's. I think it came down to ERA. Kershaw's ERA was 2.13, and Greinke's was 1.66, and Arianna's was 1.77. The shame here is, and it's not a shame, that's a bad way of putting it, Arianna had an incredible season. Oh, he had yeah. a season I mean, that deserves a Cy Young Award in many other seasons. Uh, I just unfortunately it. think that narrative won this time. Because of his wins and because of his second half, which was... Arguably the greatest second half we've ever seen, but the first half counts too. And because it helped push the Cubs into the playoffs, which again, very exciting, on board with it. Narrative one, just like it did with Donaldson. And 
I'm not mad about it. I just don't see the argument for Arietta over Kershaw or Greinke. The funny part is that Clayton Kershaw had a better second half than Arietta did. Better is... He put up almost a whole win better over the second half than oh, Arietta yeah, did yeah. by fan graphs. Just by fan graphs for Yeah, I mean, the argument for Kershaw is fit-based and the fact that yeah. he got 300 strikeouts, which we haven't seen in forever. Mm-hmm. And the argument for Greinke is ERA-based because he wins that, though his FIP wasn't even close to his good. But as far as actual run prevention, Greinke is tops. And then Arietta had wins a narrative. You know, he's kind of a, oh, well, we can't trust all of FIP. We can't trust all of ERA. I guess Arietta. I don't know. I think that's what happened. I think it's interesting. Just just going just strictly off of fan graphs for Justin Verlander had a better second half than, than Zach Greinke did. I like those little yeah. factoids that don't mean terribly much. Yeah. Again, a big part of that is, is Greinke's FIP. So. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. I think also down ballot on the NL Cy Young, if you see that, like, Garrett Cole finished in fourth and Max Scherzer finished in fifth, that's a clear case of, of wins influencing it. Cole had 19, Scherzer had 14. Scherzer pitched two no-hitters. I don't know if you remember. Uh, it he, was a, he almost had a third one, too. He almost had a third one, yeah, yeah. And had 70 more strikeouts and a significantly lower whip. I just, I don't. That was what's telling for me. That Garrett Cole came in fourth when Bumgarner and DeGrom, who had just about equally good seasons, finished lower. I guess Bumgarner had a higher ERA, but still. I think in just a lot of these pitchers, like even Scherzer's season, like that's a Cy Young season, like in yeah. almost any other season. We were blessed with so many good pitchers in the NL this year. And again, I'm being a little hand-wringing, I will admit. I'm not upset that Arianna won. Arietta's no, me either. He had an amazing great. season. Like, it's not anything to really complain about. I just didn't think he was the best pitcher, but he, it's still a Cy Young season. And, yeah. I mean, he, it's not like Garrett Cole won or something. Even he put a, even he had a great season. So Garrett Cole did have a great season, but he wasn't in the same conversation with right. the top three. Not, not really even close. I will say, I'll admit this now, I do have a weird – we get into this at some other point. I have a weird thing about awards – that I'm still working out. It's a personal thing. But I think that awards don't matter, right? Like, in the, at the end of the day, they're not what we watch baseball for. But right. they mean something as far as historical context. We're going to look back and see who won the awards, and that's going to be a thing we talk about. So they have to kind of matter. Yeah, I mean, at least it's a time marker. Like, it's right. when you look back and to, like, if you want to see, oh, who was good in 1960 or something, like someone who's our age or even younger than us now they're going to look at the awards they're not going to sort they're not really going to the first i mean you're not really going to sort by like war or anything first you kind of look at the awards and who won there at least for like the average like just the casual fan right i mean we'll see how stats are more and more integrated but Mm -hmm. the big the big talk about stats minded people like you and i and you know baseball prospectus and fan graphs and etc people is you know oh they get the awards wrong every year it sucks, but we can't... Why do we let ourselves get mad about it? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I think... I mean, I don't think it's it, something to ignore. Like, it's yeah. still, I still think it's worth talking about, and it's still something that's worth getting right. Yeah, it's nice to get it right. I think the interesting thing here is that the Cy Young winners were Dallas Keuchel and Jake Arrieta, who two, three years ago were just bad pitchers. They were just bad. And then in second place was David Price and Zach Greinke, former Cy Young winners, you know? Right. We're going to remember David Price and Zach Greinke's careers. 
I have no idea if we're going to remember Dallas Keuchel and Jake Arrieta's careers. It's the same thing with the R.I. Dickey Award. I thought that Kershaw deserved it, first of all. But also, Clayton Kershaw is a big deal. R.I. Dickey had a good year, and some people thought he had a better year. We can talk about that if you want. I don't really care. It's just... It feels weird to give it to someone who had an outlier year. Though, again, Keuchel and Arietta have been... They've been good the last... They've been moving to this yeah. point. But that over, like, a Kershaw or a Granke or a Price... Again, I'm not disagreeing with it. And I'm working on some personal issues here. But I have... I have thoughts. I'm thinking about it. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it. This maybe, isn't interesting. Maybe is that's it? a future article. I don't know. The awards should not be decided based on my gut. I know that for sure. Pitching awards determined by Evan's gut is no basis for a system of government or whatever the Monty Python quote is. Strange women distributing swords, lying in ponds. I don't know. I'm trying here. I'm trying. <laughs> you have no idea what I'm talking about, do you? Nope. Okay. Again, hoping listeners will catch that one. Watch your Monty Python. Yeah. Okay. Anything else you want to talk about? No. I think we got everything. Cool. Well, thanks for listening, everybody, and sorry that it took us so long. We'll be back soon. Bye. Take care.